So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Common Sea Inspirations. And this the 28th of January. It's the fourth Sunday in ordinary time. My name is John Keeley, and again, I'd like to welcome you into our Common Sea studio, Shane Ambrose. How are you, Shane? Not too bad, John. How are we keeping? Good, thanks, Shane. Thanks for joining me. Are you joining me in welcoming those who are housebound, lonely, and struggling in some way? Especially those of our listeners who might be um, on their own, maybe, uh, maybe in hospital, maybe in a nursing home, wherever you are. Thanks indeed for joining us. I hope you get something from our podcast today. And thank you again for your support in terms of prayer each week. Our weekly podcast includes interviews on faith topics, inspirational music, and reflection on the Sunday Gospel. All of our podcasts can be heard at commonseeinspirations.buzzspread.com. That's commonseeinspirations.buzzspread.com. On our blog, sacredspace102.blogspot.com. And also, we can be heard at Spotify, iTunes, and uh, we do have a presence on Facebook, Come and See Inspirations. So again, those, um, those platforms that we have, Come and See Inspirations, just Google us there. And also, Sacred Space 102. If you want to contact us, please do so. Email comeandseeinspirations at gmail.com. All one word, comeandseeinspirations at gmail.com. And now again, we'll welcome back again, Shane, to inform us as to what's on in terms of Saints for the Week. Any other little notes we need to be aware of. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, John. So the coming week actually is a fairly heavy week, liturgical-wise, from an Irish point of view, in terms of the Irish calendar. So today, as John said, is the 28th of January, which is the fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time. So we're entering into the fourth week in Ordinary Time. So for those praying the Psalter, we're on week four. Monday the 29th is the feast day on the Irish calendar of St. Blath of Kildare. We don't know a whole lot about her, uh, otherwise known as Flora, Flora, F-L-O-R-A. She was a lay sister and a cook in the monastery or in the convent of St. Bridget of Kildare, known for her simple personal sanctity and for her loyalty to St. Bridget. And she's said to have died in 523 of natural causes. Tuesday the 30th of September is the feast day of St. Aidan on the Irish calendar and Blessed Margaret Ball and Francis Taylor. Now, Margaret Ball always kind of catches my interest when she comes up for her liturgical celebration because she was, uh, she's one of the, herself and Francis Taylor were two of the Irish martyrs who were beatified by Pope John Paul II in 1992. Margaret Ball is an interesting one. She was imprisoned for teaching Catholicism, harbouring priests and having mass celebrated in her home. And she was imprisoned in Dublin Castle. And But the, the conditions there were quite harsh and they wore her down. She was quite elderly when she was um, arrested. And um, obviously she was she was of gentle birth. She was, she was of well-off means and so wouldn't have been used to those kind of conditions. Mm-hmm. So they, they pretty much killed her. But the interesting thing at the time was her son was the Lord Mayor of Dublin. Um... A yeah. nice gentleman, and he didn't raise a finger to do anything to help his his beloved mother. Not good. No, not good. The other was uh, blessed on the list is blessed, blessed Francis Taylor. Um, he was elected mayor of Dublin in 1595. Sorry, I should have said first, Margaret Ball, she died in 1584. So Francis Taylor, he was elected mayor of Dublin in 1595, but he was put in prison for seven years and died of the hardships there in 1621 at the age of 70. St. Aidan is also celebrated on the 30th of January. He was born in County Cavan, studied under St. David in Wales, and he founded the monastery at Ferns and became the bishop there and was renowned for his generosity and kindness. So he's the patron saint of the Diocese of Ferns, even, and he died in 626. Then, obviously, on the 31st of January, moving on to the Wednesday, it's the feast day of St. John Bosco, uh, who died in 1888. Now, it's actually, every time I see that date, it kind of surprises me. I kind of always think of John Bosco as being a bit closer to the 20th yeah. century. Uh, but anyway, he died in 1888. Obviously, Italian saint, born in Piedmont, founded the Salesians, of course, to educate boys for their lives. He also became involved in publishing catechetical material for the youth, and he's the patron saint of youth and of Catholic publishers. Obviously uh, involved as well with his with the foundation of the the Salesian Sisters, mm-hmm. as well who we we've previously covered on on the program. So that's Don Bosco, uh, so or John Bosco, known as Don Bosco, uh, who whose feast day we celebrate on the thirty first of uh, January. Then moving into February, so. The beginning of February is heavy enough on the liturgical calendar. Yeah. So Monday, of course, is... Or sorry, sorry, the 1st of, 
of, of February, which is Thursday, I beg your pardon. Thursday, the 1st of February, in the Irish calendar, is the feast day of St. Bridget, abbess and secondary patron of Ireland, and who is, of course, one of the principal, is the, is actually the principal female saint for the Irish calendar and the Irish church, known as Myrna Gael, or Mary of the Irish. Renowned, of course, for her hospitality, her almsgiving, her care of the sick. Tradition holds she was born around 454 AD, and while she was young, her father wished to make her a suitable marriage, but she insisted on consecrating her virginity to God. Um, that obviously was a bit of an issue at the time because she was the daughter of a slave woman. Uh, who, you know, So there was a bit of tatarara around that. But eventually she received the veil and spiritual formation probably from St. Mel um, and stayed for a period of time under his direction. Arda, others followed her example and she went to found a double monastery in Kildare with the assistance of Bishop Conlet. Now, when we talk about a double monastery there, it's a monastery of both men and women. Okay. Yeah, but she was the head. She was the boss. <laughs> um, tradition, of course, has that when she sought land, of course, the famous tradition of St. Bridget's cloak, um, very much that um, she was told she could have as much land as her cloak would cover and her cloak miraculously expanded and took acres and acres and acres. Um, so obviously the king wasn't too happy about that. But anyway, that's that he was a man of his word. She died in 524 and her the devotion of her cult is widespread, not only throughout Ireland actually, but in several European areas as well. And parts of St. Bridget are actually supposed to be on the continent, although I've never been able to verify that. I don't know how these saints end up in I have no idea. I have no idea. Mm. Um, the tradition, of course, is that St. Bridget, St. Patrick and St. Colm Kiel are actually pe- buried together on Down Patrick um, in, in County Armagh. She, obviously, originally she would have been buried in Kildare, but um, over the years, tradition has been her, mo- her, her remains were moved. Obviously, from an Irish point of view, very much associated uh, in tradition here with the St. Bridget's Cross made from rushes or reeds mm-hmm. um, in legend used by Bridget to explain the Christian faith. And tradition holds that it's it's made on the on the on her on her feast day, uh, as well as that, of course, very much associated Bridget with her with her almsgiving and her generosity of hospitality. It's associated with beer and beer making. And there is a prayer associated with St. Bridget around beer and beer making, which I'm not going to go into uh, on, on, on the podcast today. So that's the feast day of St. Bridget on Thursday the 1st. Friday the 2nd of February then is the feast day of the presentation of the Lord or the purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary, otherwise known as Candlemas. It's also the World Day of Prayer for Consecrated Life. Celebrates the, in the old calendar, the old liturgical calendar pre-1969 changes, uh, it marked the end of the Christmas season, where we celebrate the completion of Jesus and Mary, of Jesus and Joseph, Mary and Joseph, completing the requirements of the Jewish law, uh, forty days after the birth of Christ, where Mary was to go for ritual purification at the temple, and also for the um, the, the traditions and the requirements around ransoming Jesus as the first as their firstborn under the Mosaic law. Uh, very much, of course, associated as uh, people going out to meet the Lord and very much associated with candles. And from that also comes the tradition that it was the day of the year when candles for use in the church were blessed. So it all links into that whole tradition of candles and candlemas. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously very much associated there, Simeon and Anna is the gospel reading that we have from Luke on the Feast of the Presentation. And of course, the Nuke is is um, one of the pieces that you would associate, of course, with it. And we are going to play that at uh, here in part one of the program, uh, the Nuke Dementis from Teze. So that'll be our that'll be our music in our in our prayer space uh, this morning as well. Um, then, of course, very much uh, so that's the presentation and Candlemas Day for the for the for, and of course, as I said, it's World Day of Prayer for Consecrated Life. So it's very much associated with praying for consecrated life. Uh, uh, which is uh, and those that would enter religious life um, then finally John Saturday is the feast of St. Blaise Bishop and Martyr um, Bishop of course Bishop St. Blaise died in 315 AD was the Bishop of Sebaste and martyred in Armenia tradition states that he was a physician before he became a bishop and since the 8th century he has been venerated as a patron of those who suffer from diseases of the troth the blessing of St. Blaise is a sign of our faith in God's protection and love for us and for the sick. And the tradition would have been that using two of the unlighted candles from Candlemas, um, the minister or whoever would touch the throat of the person saying, to the intercession of St. Blaise, Bishop and Martyr, may God deliver you from all ailments of the throat and from all other evils um, 
um, and illnesses in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that would be the blessing for St. Blaise on his feast day. He's a funny one. Blaise gets a great run out on his feast day, and we didn't kind of forget about him till the rest of the rest yeah. of the year, the poor guy. But anyway, that's that's St. Blaise whose feast day we celebrate on the 3rd of February. So a couple of big, well, not big, well, big enough saints during the week, a busy liturgical calendar. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes Um so, as we said, um, this next week coming is uh, the Feast of St. Bridget. And just to point out to a couple of things that are coming up um, in terms of things that are happening for St. Bridget's Day and around the St. Bridget's Festival. So, first off, I suppose just to say, Atay Parish has a St. Bridget's uh, events that are on. There's a cross-making work- a workshop, St. Bridget's cross-making workshop on Wednesday, January the 31st at the church in Atay at 7.30pm to make your own St. Bridget's Cross to protect your home. Materials will be provided and tea and coffees will be, ser- will be served. And then on Sunday the 4th of February, uh, there's a Life of St. Bridget reenactment, which will be at the 11am Mass to hear all about the Life of St. Bridget presented by the church community and the, followed by the blessing of the St. Bridget's Day Crosses. Then in relation to that as well, we just want to give a plug to Clocka uh, Breed, a story sharing afternoon with Maria Gillen, which is going to be at the FCJ Spirituality House in Spanish Point, which our good friend Noreen uh, Lynch reminded us of. It's on on the 4th of February from 2 to 5 p.m. If anybody's in that neck of the woods, obviously get in touch with the FCJ Spirituality House and or you can check in or book in on a on events uh, Eventbrite as well if you're in the Nukadity. Another one is Anish Chalk on Arig with Deirdre Kinedas, uh, which is on from the 9th to the 11th of uh, February. And uh, again, you can purchase a ticket just to book in for that workshop with Deirdre Kineda. It's looking at giving you the opportunity to journey with others through silence, poetry, reflection and music immersing ourselves in the message of St. Bridget around growth, inspiration and peace, particularly during these uncertain and challenging times. So that's Anish Chuck on Arig uh, with Deirdre Kineda at the FCJ House Spirituality House from the 9th to the 11th of uh, February. In the meantime, for our prayer space today, again, I'm continuing to take something from Vincent Travers, uh, this Dominican from his book, The Road Home, Daily Reflections. And today I picked one, it's entitled, They Searched. A four-year-old girl came home crying. Her father dried her tears, and between the sobs, the child told him that she and her friends were playing hide-and-seek. And when it was her her turn to hide, she did so very well. That they gave up looking for her and went off to play another game. She waited for them to find her for about half an hour. She emerged shortly afterwards, from her hiding place to find that she was alone. I wonder if it's this how God feels. I wonder if God has managed to hide from us so successfully that we've given up looking for him and have gone off in other directions of pursuits. Is God absent from our lives because we've stopped looking for him? Sometimes we've stopped looking for God because of the sins of those who speak on his behalf. Sometimes we've stopped looking because, like people, who keep putting off the visit to the doctor or the dentist, we think we know what he will say and we don't want to hear it. Sometimes we don't look for God because it never occurs to us that we need him. But that's only part of it. Not the most important part of the story. Suppose it's the other way around. The little girl explained to her father, I hid. No one looked for me. When you were four years old, that can be crushing. No one is looking for me. Suppose God... Hidden and mysterious is always seeking us. Does that make a difference? God seeking us rather than we seeking God. Maybe something to think about for for the rest of the week. Now we go for that first bit of music that you mentioned, Shane. Yeah, so it's from it's from Tazy and it is their version of what's called the Nuke Demitis, which is of course the prayer of Simeon which we will read about and hear in the gospel for the Feast of the Presentation. It's, of course, a well-known prayer to many people um, because it's obviously uh, it's recited every day in the prayer of the church, the, 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 the office of the church, as it's said, as part of night prayer compline. It's that lovely prayer uh, now, of course, which comes from uh, if, if, at the Lord. May your servant go in peace. You have fulfilled your promise 
My own eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in sight of all the peoples, a light to bring the Gentiles from darkness, the glory of your people, Israel. Welcome back to part two of this week's Come and See Inspirations podcast. My name is Shane Ambrose. Delighted to have you with us. And of course, John, the boss, is manning the controls, making sure I don't trip up too much. I don't know what that's the boss. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> right. So, folks, what we're going to do on this week's podcast, we're going to do news. We're going to do a magazine uh, podcast this week. This is where we go around the world and just look at bits and pieces that caught our eye in terms of things that are happening in different parts of the world. Now, just for those that like to follow up on these things, our sources of information are generally uh, Vatican News, Catholic News Agency, Catholic News World, the Crux, Crux website, the Pillar website, and the Irish Catholic, just for those that we just, people, someone asked me today where we get all this stuff from. That's just a few of those things. You, you yeah, that's just a few of those things that I dip in and out of from time to time. Yeah, exactly. So, right, starting off uh, in no particular order, let's start in Belgium. So the Belgian church is currently having a big discussion about the meaning of GDPR. Now, for those of our listeners who are not in Ireland, the UK or the European Union in general, GDPR is General Data Protection Rules and Regulations. So these are the rules and regulations that the European Union has put in place to protect our data, our personal information that's held by organisations online and so on and so forth. And the European Union is generally quite tough on this particular area. And uh, Europeans in general tend to be very 
proactively litigious in regard as well. Now, the reason why it factors so high in the Irish psyche is the fact that the Irish Data Protection Commissioner is responsible for the likes of Facebook, Twitter, um, well, X as it's now called, whatever else, uh, and a couple of other those big webs, those other big data processing entities, because their European headquarters are based in Euro- in Ireland. But anyway, in the Belgian context, uh, the Catholic Church in Belgium has said it's going to have a bit of a dispute over an order to erase an entry in a baptismal register. So the context here is that there has been a slight increase, ever so slight, in the number of people in Belgium who have appealed or have requested to be debaptized and to have their records deleted from baptismal records across Belgium. Now, there is an argument here that you you have a right under GDPR for your data to be corrected or amended if it's no longer relevant or correct. Uh, however, and uh, in in this scenario, I suppose what used to happen was in, in most places across Europe, following on a decision actually from the Irish Data Protection Commissioner to the Archdiocese of Dublin, was that you a note would be entered into the register that the person um, you know doesn't wish to be uh, uh, belong to the church anymore, and the church's position has been, well, a baptism, the event of a baptism is a historical event. It has happened. You cannot undo it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but many people are are not taking that. Obviously, from a from a theological point of view, the church would. You know, would take also take the point of view. You can't undo your baptism. You are baptized. You're a part. You're a part of the body of Christ. It leaves an indelible mark on you. Uh, okay. the, the, the technical yep. theological term is there's an ontological change when your very being, your very soul. Anyway, so the Belgian Data Protection Authority has given the church 30 days to appeal against the rule, ruling, which could not could potentially go on to serve as precedent not only in Belgium but also in the other 26 member states of the European Union. Now, I find that a bit funny because you're going to have to make that 25 because the Irish Data Protection has already ruled on this. Mm. So it's like, I'm not quite sure where the Belgian authority is going in this regard. Um, so it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see, um, like the Irish Commission said that people who no longer consider themselves to be members of the Catholic Church do not have the right to obtain erasure of their public data in baptismal reg- registers. Um, you know, they said a supplementary statement could be added. So I can see this going all the way to the courts in the European Union in this regard. But it's interesting because the church in Belgium adopted the policy of a, noting the things in the baptismal register in the 1990s. Um, but they've seen a surge in people asking to be recorded as debaptized. Now, there's a whole, you know, from a theological point of view, like, you know, this is just like, you just can't be, be you know, debaptized. Yeah, yeah. You, you walk away. You apostatize from the church, but you can't undo what's already been done. Um, and they had 5,237 such requests in 2021, which was up from 1,800 requests in 2019, uh, which is a bit of an issue. But um, it's also interesting if we compare this to our friends in Germany, uh, which is an interesting one because the Germans have... Uh, now, it's just to say, like, the French... High Court or the Supreme Court has upheld the approach taken by the Irish as well. There's been a number. It's it's other. There's been other unsuccessful challenges in this regard. So I don't think the Belgians are quite going to get away with it. The French have upheld it. Slovenia's administrative court has upheld it. Germany provides a mechanism where you you and renounce your membership of the church, but in the being true Germanic fashion, um, that's because you want to get out of paying the church tax. Which is slightly different. So, if a baptized Catholic wishes to exit the church in Germany, they must book an appointment at a local civil registry office, right? You provide official documents and you pay a fee of 35 euros. Right? In return, they receive a certificate confirming they are no longer registered and therefore not liable for the church tax, right? When that certificate issues, now this is true German bureaucracy. Right when that's when that certificate issues, issues, it triggers a letter from the local church officials, describing the implication of the move, which includes a bar on receiving the sacraments, holding church posts, and acting as a baptismal or confirmation sponsor. And in some places, it actually means you can't be buried in a Catholic graveyard. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now the problem in Germany is five hundred and twenty-two thousand eight hundred and twenty-one people formally left the church in 2022. That's half a million decided to walk away. 
Um, so you know, it's 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 it's. I think the Germans That's kind gonna of cost money. Yeah, it's gone. Well, you see, this is the thing. You see, this is why I get so suspicious and skeptical and mm. cynical about what our friends are doing you on the like German no. on the German synodal pathway. Yeah. Yes, yeah. if you're losing half a million people a year that are walking away, aside from the ones that you're burying, mm. you know, your your um your your income is dra- your ra- price, is yeah. rapidly decreasing. And in German context, priests are pretty much civil servants. So it's just, it's, it's an interesting one. But anyway, we'll watch that space and see what happens in Belgium. I, myself, I just, I just, I can't understand the logic of it really. Like, you know, it's fair enough. You can turn around and say, well, I'm no longer a Catholic, but you can't undo what is a historical event. And that the data protection laws don't, can't um, yeah. be used in that regard. So it'll be just interesting to see which way that goes in terms of the courts. Now, moving on, moving around the world, John, to Vietnam. So the Holy See and the communist country of Vietnam have started to kiss and make up. Uh, So there's a possible papal trip, potentially, maybe, who knows, maybe. Uh, It would have been deemed quite fanciful up to recently. But as I said, they've they've started to kiss and make up. Um, So what happened was, obviously, in the 20th century, the Communist Party of Vietnam, founded by Hu Chi Minh, came to power in North Vietnam in 1954. And then, obviously, with the fall of Saigon and the defeat of the South Vietnamese army in 1975, they took over the whole country. Um, Catholicism has had a mixed relationship in Vietnam, I think it's fair to say. Their South Vietnam's first president, mm, I'm not even going to pronounce his name, Go Ding Dim, I think that's how you pronounce it. That's your man. He was actually a Catholic, but he antagonized the majority Buddhist population and he actually himself was assassinated. And there was a famous Tik Quang Duk who was a Buddhist monk who set himself alive in 1963 in protest at all of this. Um, the communist rulers who took over Vietnam saw the Catholic Church as a product of French colonialism, although it has been there in Vietnam since the 16th century. And obviously they associated with anti-communism in South Vietnam and made it quite difficult to practice the Catholic faith, which included actually a future cardinal who was imprisoned for 13 years and he was and who has been declared venerable, uh, Cardinal, oh, oh, I don't know how to know, Nguyen Van Thuan, who is actually a nephew of that president. That's my cup of tea. <laughs> John is rubbing my tea here, folks. <laughs> anyway, so that's, uh, so, so he was the, he was a nephew of that president we were just talking about. But anyway, so in 2009, uh, there was a Vietnam Holy See joint working group that started to meet regularly, um, who were obviously appointed by Benedict XVI. And it's been meeting on again and off again since. And then in March 2023, at the 10th meeting of that working group, the two sides were in consensus on the creation of a papal representative to Vietnam. So that's basically a papal ambassador. So and anyway, uh, then um, there's been meetings with the Pope and things have all been very positive and all, uh, so on and so forth. Now, from what Francis said was on his return from Mongolia in September last year, he said, with Vietnam, the dialogue is open with highs and lows, but it's open and slowly moving forward. With regard to a journey to Vietnam, if I don't go, John the 24th certainly will. Which is an interesting mm. one. Yeah. So at some stage, there'll be a papal visit. But anyway, so it's just been announced anyway that they've appointed a, a representative and hopefully, maybe, we might see the appointment of a papal nuncio. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how it goes and how quick it moves. So then moving on. Now, back to South and Central America. So we have spoken before about Nicaragua and the situation there yeah, under the dictator Daniel Ortega. So the man we were talking about before, Bishop Ronaldo Jose Alvarez, has been released and has been expelled from the country. So this is a man who basically stood up for his people. I, I suppose maybe preemptively had said a potential new Oscar Romero. The bishop had been sentenced to 26 years in prison and had been a political prisoner since August 2022 along with 18 other priests and seminarians who were imprisoned in December 2023. He suffered greatly in terms of health and I'd say mentally as well uh, in in suffering. Um, Basically, he was to be kicked out and he refused to sign um, a a blank document. Um, So they they, they put him into prison and he was declared he'd lost his citizenship uh, under Nicaraguan law and all sorts of things. But anyway, last weekend... Um, basically, this there was a statement issued confirming that they had been deported, and they actually had been sent to Vatican City. So he's actually been exiled to Rome. 
uh, himself, another bishop who had dared to pray for him at a mass, plus a number of other priests and seminarians. The list of exiles um, is is quite long, um, but it's uh, they also so it's 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 quite long, but it's 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 quite a serious. Um, not serious, how will I put this, high-ranking men and women from the church in Nicaragua, which, of course, raises the concern Like the church in Nicaragua is one of the few voices that's voices that is standing up to Ortega and his wife, Rosario, uh, who's his vice president. Um, you know, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see how it goes. So there was a, there was pictures posted of, of Bishop Ronaldo celebrating, celebrating mass in Rome, and they had met with the Cardinal Secretary of State, Cardinal uh, Paroline, the Secretary of State for the for for for, for the Papal State for the Holy See. So that, I suppose good news in the it's sense news, that yeah. he's he's been released. Mm. Not completely great, of course, because obviously he's had to be he's been exiled from his home, and the people of Nicaragua have lost lost another voice in calls for freedom and yeah. justice in that particular country. Now, last week was the week of prayer for Christian unity. And uh, it's interesting, actually, one of the things that caught my eye, that I kept seeing pictures of Pope Paul VI. And I was like, what mm. the hell is this all about? Mm. So anyway, I went digging. So just to point out that it was actually the 60th anniversary of the encounter between Pope St. Paul VI and the ecumenical patriarch Atenegros, uh, which took place in Jerusalem. Now, why was this such a big deal? And when did it, when it happen uh, 60 years ago? Well, it was a big deal because it was the first meeting between a pope and the ecumenical patriarch since um, one that happened at the Council of Feria in 1438. And it was more important than that because it was the opportunity where the churches began the step and the process to uh, reconciliation. So we know that there was the... Uh, what would you call it? The schism happened around mm-hmm. 10, 1053, I think it was. And there was mutual excommunications pronounced on all and sundry by everybody else. Um, now, there's there's arguments. Did the papal legate overextend his authority? The reaction in Constantinople was probably a bit over the top as well. There was the differences between culture. There was a misunderstanding of languages between Latin and Greek. There was the nuances that were missing and all the rest of it. Anyway, so we ended up in a situ- we've ended up in a situation right down to the present day where we have two churches, both of them in the apostolic succession. We recognize the um, the orders and the sacraments of the Orthodox Church. Uh, the, basically, we say their problem is that you know they don't accept the, the papacy. There's mm-hmm. an issue with Marian dogma. Uh, there's a couple of things around the creed. They don't, in terms of the Felique cause and other bits and pieces from a liturgical point of view. Um, you know, but it's there's there's things there's there's things coming into play. There's a lot of dialogue in in, in as well. But there's a lot of hardcore uh, on the other side as well that have absolutely no time for us and see Catholics as, as schismatics and heretics. Mm. Um, you know, which is a, it's an interesting is an interesting place to be. But anyway, I thought it was an interesting one. The whole pata communal dialogue and 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 so on and so forth began sixty years ago last week with that encounter in Rome between the two. Um, the Pope and the, the Patriarch, which I is an interesting one to to remember. For anyone that wants to read about it or, fi- or read a reflection on it, Cardinal Kurt Koch, who is the prefect of the Dicastery for Promoting Christian Unity, actually had an article in the Vatican News, a fraternal embrace that is also a commitment, if anybody wants to catch up on it there. Uh, one thing to keep an eye about going back across the world to the Caribbean and to Haiti the Haitian bishops and Pope Francis actually have appealed for the release of six nuns. The Archdiocese of Port-au-Prince is appealing for the release of six women religious who were kidnapped from a bus in the Haitian capital last Friday. Haiti is in a difficult part, in a difficult place at the moment. There's a lot of violence, gang-related violence, poverty. The government is pretty much non-existent. It's a difficult part of the world at the moment. And there's huge criminality uh, and abductions that happened. But there were six nuns who were members of the St. Anna congregation, which has been devoted to helping children and the poor in Haiti for 80 years, particularly in the fields of education and social development. They were abducted at gunpoint on Friday from a bus in Port-au-Prince, along with two other people. No gang or armed group has yet claimed responsibility. Now, I'll be interested to see what way that goes. The church is generally held in a high regard in, in Haiti, in Haiti and, yeah. and the sisters, the nuns in particular, would be held in high regard. So whatever geniuses are after kidnapping six nuns, I would safely say they are probably in a bit of trouble. 
Um, bringing it whole closer to home at the moment, uh, one of the interesting things that caught our eyes during the week is the Irish Medical Council has kind of sneakily removed um, an element of the Code of Ethics for Doctors, which removes a line barring medical staff from taking part in the deliberate killing of a patient. So this has been picked up. Uh, there's, there's a question mark, A, how they did it. But obviously, of course, the bishops have come out and highlighted that this is just paving the way um, to, 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 to allow the introduction of euthanasia and assisted suicide. Now, it's interesting. President Dr. Suzanne Crow has said that the Medical Council does not have a position on assisted dying and the change to the ethical guide has been misinterpreted in a statement to the Irish Parliament. However, you know, it's like it's the, the bishops have added that, you know, it's obviously uh, kind of wondering how this is going to work. And obviously the, there's a whole committee, there's a parliamentary committee investigating this whole issue in terms of the Irish Parliament at the moment. And yeah, balanced is how they like to describe themselves. I would say badly skewed in one particular direction of travel would be another way to describe it. Uh, but I mean, Bishop Kevin Doran came out questioning it and um, uh, and noted that the issues that this raised and that it's you know asking the question, this would seem to suggest that the Medical Council does not see these very significant areas of activity as involving any ethical question or risks, which of course is slightly preempting the discussion. And uh, the the Ionian Institute, which is obviously a conservative think tank in Ireland and made the point that it's a momentous move that clearly paving the way for euthanasia um, it's, as it's removing this from the Code of Ethics. So something to keep an eye on, and we'll have to see where that goes. Now, moving back to Roma, John, a couple of things that caught my eye. Uh, the Pope has been kind of busy this week because he's been promoting the 2025 Jubilee. So we are going to be having a Jubilee of Hope in 2025. And on January the 21st, during his Sunday Angelus, Pope Francis officially opened a year of prayer leading up to 2025, saying the next few months will lead us to the ongoing of the opening of the Holy Door, with which we will begin the Jubilee. I ask you to intensify your prayer to prepare yourselves to live well this event of grace and to experience the strength of hope in God, saying that the year of prayer is dedicated to rediscovering the great value and absolute need of prayer in personal life in the life of the church and of the world. So um, it's, it's it, as we said, the, the, the Jubilee is in 2025. It's all around hope. And he said it's going to be a pilgrimage of hope as well. Archbishop Fisichella, who is the, uh, how I, what's his description? He's uh, the guy that heads up, he's heading up the preparations for the Jubilee year. Sorry. Mm. Uh, he There was a press conference and he said that 2024 would be one of the preparation for the Jubilee, which is about to begin and a year during which the spiritual significance of the Jubilee must emerge more clearly. And uh, it's it's so we'll see what they're going to plan uh, during the year. There's no major events um, planned as such by the Vatican, but uh, there will be what he calls a school of prayer being, being set up, which will be, uh, what did he describe it? A series of meetings and encounters with different groups of people with the aim being to pray together and better, understanding the various form of prayers. So it'll be interesting to see where that one particularly goes um, and what, what what the plan will be for the year of prayer in preparation for the Jubilee. Now, I stand open to correction on this, but I think one of the reasons we're having a Jubilee next year, aside from the fact that it's 2025, is that it also is, I think, the 1700 or the 1750th anniversary of the Council of Nicaea. Your memory is great. And which is, and people said to me, well, Shane, what's so special about that? It's because it, that is the council that gave us the Nicene Creed. Mm-hmm. And the, the Council of Nicaea is one of the councils that all of the Christian churches recognize as being common to us all. And I mean pretty much all of the churches like it doesn't matter what side, Orthodox, Catholic or Protestant, most of them will recognize Nicaea as being an ecumenical council. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to that. So anyway, we're into the year of prayer and looking forward to reading about the schools of prayer that Pope Francis is going to hold in preparation for the Jubilee year. Now, moving on then, um, there is also a new version of the UCATH or the Youth Catechism. Now, the Youth Catechism was initially published 
I think it was published in 2000, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but anyway, there's a new one out. There's a new edition of it out. And the Pope is encouraging it as a tool for catechizing, catechizing, catechizing the youth. Um, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's, no, it was Pope Benedict, actually, sorry, that brought out the first one. Um, it's a great one. It's, it's a way of um, going through the catechism, but in kind of simple enough kind of language. Uh, it's 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 an interesting one. That's a while now since I picked up the UCAT myself, but uh, obviously Pope Francis has said it's a password for joy. Very you know, getting with the youth that's there. It. You know, it. uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, in terms of how well that gets on. Something we might come back to at some stage, John, in the program during the year. Then uh, the Pope, yeah, the Pope's had a couple of health issues in the last couple of while. He's had a couple of incidences where he's had meetings with general groups and he's basically said to them, I can't read out my speech to you because I my I have breathing problems. Now, as we know, Pope Francis um, has one lung and he is 87 years of age. Uh, but it is, it's it's happened three or four times now in the last six weeks. So it's just something we need just to keep an eye on, uh, just how well his health is doing. Now, he has been very clear he's not resigning. He's not stepping down. He's, he, there was an interview he did recently again. And he was quite adamant about that, that he ain't going anywhere anytime mm-hmm, soon. Mm-hmm. So we'll wait and see. Keep an eye, as they say, watch that space. So, John, that is, that's what we have, John, in terms of a quick runaround, in terms of bits and pieces that caught, us, very, caught my eye. Very interesting, Shane. Well yep. done. Uh, and all those all, all those links that you... I'll put one or two up. Sorry about that, Shane. <laughs> I had to do it. In the meantime, we'll go for a second piece of music. Um, so we'll play a bit of instrumental music. It's from the Maranatha Singers and it's entitled In His Time. So come back and join us again in part two where we'll read and reflect on the Word of God.
So welcome back again to the third part of Common Sea Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shannon Ambrose. This part of the podcast is we read and reflect on the Sunday Gospel, the Word of God. Before that, we'll invite Shannon, as usual, to pray this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shannon. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this Word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Sean. So the Gospel for today, for the fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time, again, is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 21 to 28. Jesus and his, his, and, and his followers went as far as Capernaum. And as soon as the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. And his teaching made a deep impression on them because, unlike the scribes, he taught them with authority. In the synagogue just then there was a man possessed by an unclean spirit, and it shouted, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus said, Sharply, be quiet, come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw the man into convulsions, and with a loud cry went out of him. The people were so astonished that they started asking each other what it all meant. Here is a teaching that is new, they said, and with the authority behind it. He gives orders, even to unclean spirits, and they obey him. And his reputation rapidly spread everywhere, through all the surrounding Galilean countryside. The Gospel for the fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time, taken from Mark. Shane, you've got a thought you might want to lead us into, please? Yeah, it's kind of... Mark is going to be a challenging one, John, in terms of reflecting for the next while. Because the sections are so long, you kind of have to read them a couple of times and see what comes out and what strikes you about it as you're doing your lecture and your reflection mm-hmm. on it each week. So um, I suppose a couple of things, I suppose. First of all, we're talking about Capernaum, which is a town up on near enough to the Sea of Galilee. You can still visit it today. Mm-hmm. And when you go to Capernaum, you can actually still see, I think, the majority of the synagogue that we're talking about in this week's Gospel. Uh, probably with a few other bits and pieces added on to it. Capernaum, by tradition, is also where you have Peter's house, where you had that whole episode with his mother-in-law. Yep. Uh, and there is a church actually built over it, and you can see the ruins, what is the ruins of the house through the floor of the church. That's right, I remember that, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, so it's just, it's an interesting one. But we have here Jesus going into Capernaum, and he made a great impression on them, because unlike the scribes, he taught them with authority. Um... Now, that was actually the line that struck with me. He taught them with authority. And the reason that stayed with me is the understanding of authority in in the modern world. Because we live in a society where basically the appeal to authority and respecting authority because that is the authority Mm -hmm. isn't there anymore. We live in a society where it's, I suppose you could say, respect is errand, not given. And... um, now, there's pros and cons to that, because let's be honest, there was times when that authority has been abused, not just necessarily in the context of the state, in the church, mind you, but, um, you know, and, and it kind of feeds into the discussion about patriarchy and, and all that side of things, which we're not going to get into on the program today on the podcast. But for me, the term teaching with authority is also teaching with recognizing um, sincerity, for me, that was mm, that was yeah. what came out of it. Teaching with authority, recognizing that authority is recognizing sincerity. And one of the great things you could say about young people today is they can smell someone a mile away who's trying to BS them. Mm-hmm. You know, and that doesn't matter whether they're a parent, a teacher, a politician, whoever it is. And we live in a world which in some ways is good that it calls people out that 
when you're in dialogue with them and you're trying to convince them, mm-hmm. you must be sincere in what you're trying to do. You must be truthful. You must be authentic is the other word, sorry, that I was trying to think of. Authentic and sincere. And when we're reflecting on it, I suppose that does pose a question for us in the gospel, in terms of the gospel today, is when how sincere and authentic are we about sharing the good news? Uh, so that people would respond to that enthusiasm and that truthfulness that they can hear in our voice when we're talking about faith and celebrating our faith. Because we have an example here, you know, the the, 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 the demoniac who recognizes Jesus for who he was and says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Um, now, it's interesting, the, 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 the version of the gospel I have here says Jesus rebuked him. Uh, in another version, it says Jesus sharply said, uh, be silent and come out of him. But it's interesting. We were at Lexia during the week, actually, and Father Frank said the translation isn't quite correct because he said, actually, if you look at the word that's used, it's Jesus gently said, be silent and come out of him. Uh, as you know, whereas in, when you read this context, it sounds like he kind of shouted back mm, at yeah, him, yeah. you know, and it's that whole thing where Jesus is gently encountering someone and just exercising that authority and saying, come out and be gone, you know, and it's, it's, it's slightly different. Um, and, but again, that whole point, a new teaching with authority, it's, it's repeated in the end of the section. Um, and he even commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. So for me, John, that was the question I suppose that posed me this week. Not a whole lot, I suppose, to think about. Um, but I suppose it just, it just, it was one that struck me. Um, and 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 I, I kind of it's it's it stayed with me. And one of the things we learn with Lexio as, as we progress through it is that if something comes out to you like that, when there's a word or a phrase, when you're reading the scripture mm-hmm. that speaks that seems to be saying something to it, you know the the idea is that you sit with it and you reflect on it and you ponder it. So for me, it was that he speaks with authority and understanding what that means, but also looking at. It's in a broader context, not just purely, you know, dictatorial type yeah. of approach type of thing. Shane, thank you very much, Nifada. Yeah, the same as us. Uh, for myself, in today's Gospel, read how the teaching of Jesus made a deep impression on his listeners because they, he thought with authority. And when reflecting on this, on my own experience of listening to people who speak with authority, I was reminded of a few examples. But first of all, my parents, they taught me with... Uh, from from their own experience, so it was with authority. It was it was how they lived their life, and because they they loved me so much, and they only wanted the good for me, as far as I was concerned, they spoke with authority. It's something that I listened to and I stayed with. And the second example that that I came up with uh, um, when I was just thinking about this gospel passage in regard to authority was being taught at Lecture Divina. Shane just mentioned it there, where Father Frank Dewey, our leader, invites us to look into our own experience to see where the gospel passages come alive in our lives. And over time, I began to realize that the teachings of Jesus in the, in, in the gospels could, would, and in fact did benefit me as I lived my everyday experience. So for me, they were spoken, the words in the gospel I'm talking about now, they were spoken with authority. So again, um, that, that, that's just a few thoughts for myself and Shan, and I'm sure there's listeners out there who might have their own thoughts in regard to the gospel. And maybe at this stage, we might invite listeners, if they so wish, maybe to email us. Maybe one or two thoughts that they might uh, have come up with in regard to the gospel passage this particular week and share it with, with the rest of our listeners who would also benefit from that thinking, from the Spirit speaking with them. So, John, as we close out the third part of the podcast this week, our final piece of music is going to be the piece uh, "Be Not Afraid." So, from next, so, so from Shine and myself, thanks indeed for joining us. We'll speak again next week. In the meantime, have a good week. Now, bye. You shall cross the barren desert. Shall speak your word.